Let's pray. Let's pray before we start. Father God, speak to us this morning. In a sense, I'm asking you to put aside all that I've written and all that I've prepared, and just you speak through me, that we might know what it is in our lives you want to address, what it is that makes us tick deep inside, that we might examine that this morning. What do we really want? What is our deepest desire? Find it and change it, we pray, that it might be a desire for you above all. Amen. So here we are at the start, well, the first commandment we're looking at, and it says in Exodus 20, 17, you know it well, it says, You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbour. I love the way wife is jumbled in there with ox and donkey, don't you? Anyway, don't covet it. Don't covet it. A question for you, and it's a bit like the question that um, Claire asked about birthdays. Um, What do you really want? Now, I'm not really talking about birthdays now. I'm talking about what do you really want deep inside? And don't worry, I'm not going to come round and ask you to share it with 300 people here at Burlington on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to ask you to speak it out loud. But I'm asking you, what is it that you really want? What do you think about most? What do you talk about? What do you put your most energy into? What is the deepest desire of your heart? So, number ten, do not covet. Why are we starting at the end? Well, I say it's, it's, it's last, but it's not least. You might have noticed that this particular commandment is a little bit different to the others. One to four deal with our behaviour towards God, about, and they're all about putting him first. And five to nine deal with our behaviour towards other people and big stuff like murder and adultery and things like that. But this commandment deals with our thoughts. At first glance, you might think, therefore, that it was just slipped in at the end as an afterthought. I don't think so. Because if you think again about it, there's a sense in which this commandment is at the root of all the others. And in some ways it's the most dangerous to break. All of our actions, all of our actions are hatched in our thoughts. Every act of theft, after all, begins with a desire for something someone else has. Every act of adultery, of course, begins with a desire for someone who is not our husband or wife. If we kept this commandment, it would be impossible to break some of the others. So it is a big deal. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to look at three questions about coveting. I'm going to ask, what is it? What is coveting? Why does it matter? And what is the antidote? What can we do about it? Well, so what is it? What's coveting? Well, it's not all bad, you know. It's not all bad. In the Hebrew, the same word as is used for covet here um, is used for delight in the Psalms and in the Song of Songs. To long for something godly and to reach out for it is a good thing. Desires are designed to be a positive force. 
When Martin Luther said, I have a dream, we applauded him, didn't we? And we, encouraged, we were encouraged to reach out for more too. Recent successes in the Olympics were fueled by a desire to succeed and to win. Jesus commanded his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God. And Paul encouraged the Christians in Philippi to strain towards what is ahead. Paul urged us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts and the desire of a newborn baby to find and suckle his mother's breast is a clear example that that desire was designed as a positive force. And God has placed within us deep desires to love and to be loved, to find acceptance and for relationship with God. It is not the wanting that's the problem It's the wanting that isn't yours, something that isn't yours, or the wanting that is fueled by greed. And boy, is our greed fueled today. We can't escape from adverts and marketing campaigns telling us how much happier we would be with a flashier car, a faster PC, a more exotic holiday. It's not the wanting of these things that it's a problem. It's not possessions that are wrong. It's when the pursuit of them possesses us that it becomes the problem. William Shakespeare said, Desire of having is the sin of covetousness. It is when we believe that the having of stuff or people or power will bring fulfilment deep inside. That's when the trouble starts. So, coveting. You might say, But hang on, is it really that bad? What harm can it do? Why does it matter? It's nice to dream about all the stuff we could have. It's nice to dream about how things could be. Where's the harm in that? But stop. Think again. Coveting has a powerful effect on our lives, and I'm going to suggest three reasons why it matters. Why does it matter? It deceives us, it diverts us, and it damages us. So, it deceives deceives us. Firstly, it deceives Coveting promises satisfaction, but it is not fulfilling. It captures our energy, our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, which should be directed towards things of God. So we miss out. It's a drug. The more we dabble, the more we want. Things of this world only give us fleeting satisfaction. That new mobile phone, that red Mercedes, that longed-for sexual encounter brings fleeting satisfaction and increased striving more. Time and again we see people who appear to have it all yet are discontent. Patsy Palmer, the famous star of EastEnders, has referred to a metaphorical hole in her stomach, saying, you can't fill it with drugs, you can't fill it with drink, and you can't fill it with food. Coveting, though, attempts to fill that void but it fails to deliver. It says if you desire things, people, lifestyles, fame, once you get them, you'll be satisfied. But when you get them, you still want more. Meanwhile, it saps our energy, takes our mind and our concentration, drains our resources. Covetousness, coveting, comes out of believing a lie. Schopenhauer puts it like this. Coveting is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. You know how it goes, the circle of desire. I desire something. I see it, I realise I don't have it, 
I believe I'd be better off if I had it. I want it. I dream. I dream. I fix my imagination on what it would be like to have it. I long for it. I must have it. I have it. I delight. I'm delighted. I'm thrilled. I'm excited by my new purchase, which brings me great pleasure and great joy. I feel great and, actually, people are quite impressed with my new mobile phone. And I'll probably show it to you. But, you know, very shortly, I'm disappointed. Oh, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. It's only an object. It's stuff. And anyway, there was an advert on tonight which showed me one that was a little bit better. So I'm feeling dissatisfied already. So what next? Maybe that other phone would fulfill this hole inside me that, that says, oh, it'd be much better. Life would be much better. would be more fulfilled. Communication would be so much easier if I had that better phone. I see a new phone. I desire it. We're back where we started. And so it goes on. Coveting is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. So coveting deceives and it diverts us from God's plans. It diverts us from God's plans for our lives and lands us with second best or far worse. Here in Timothy, the verse we had read to us earlier by John, we see that people get taken off God's track by following foolish and harmful desires. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, and so on. God has said, hasn't he, we know very clearly that he has a plan for our lives. And if God has promised, he will deliver in his time. If we seek our own destiny by changing direction according to our desires, we will miss out on the plans that are tailor-made for us. Our earthly desires will take us off the path which would have led us to great joy. The empty fulfilment of Kansas compared with the richness and tailor-made blessings of Oz. As Christians, we need to be content with what we have and trust God as he is aware of our needs and will meet them. Coveting is born out of deception, enticing us away from the provision God wants God towards all sorts of things that will not fulfil us. Coveting tells us that if I have that now, I will be happy. And I want it. And I want it now. Abraham fell into this trap. God gave him a destiny, a promise, plans for his life. A promised son who would produce a nation. And Abraham was excited by this. But Sarah was dubious, pointing to her age and saying she wouldn't get pregnant. And she said to Abraham, have you considered my young maidservant? And covetousness kicked in. And Abraham tried to make the promise of God happen in his own terms, in his own time and in his own way instead of just trusting God. Before long, a baby was on the way, but it wasn't the child of God's promise. Needless to say, God was not pleased. Abraham had turned to coveting when he should have trusted God to supply his needs. If God says he's going to bless you or give you something, he will. It doesn't matter how long it takes. 
Jesus taught that we should humble ourselves and submit to God in order to receive all we need. But coveting takes the opposite approach. It grasps in order to obtain that promise. It's self-appointed destiny by sinful means. We take our life into our own hands and in doing so, we find we've taken it out of his. I think I'll say that again. We take our life into our own hands and in doing so, we find that we have taken it out of his and it's us that miss out. We know that God has plans for our lives from these verses in Jeremiah that we know so well. But we find we can't always leave it to him to deliver them. We have to meddle by thinking we know much better what we need and when we need it by. So I want to tell you about my friend, called, who I call Shopping List Jack. Jack is someone that I have known for ages. He lives a long way from here. He became a Christian when he was a teenager and decided he would serve God and believed this would bring him contentment. The only thing was, he had very particular ideas about what his life would look like, having given it to God. He was particularly keen on working for the Mission Aviation Fellowship, MAF, who fly Cessna aeroplanes in Africa, working closely with charities such as Tear Fund. Back then, you could only do this if you were married. And although John was single, he figured that this was okay because, of course, God would give him a wife. Not any old wife, mind you. She would be under five foot four. She'd have long, dark hair, a good sense of humour, and she'd actually be quite keen on dancing. There were other things on Jack's shopping list that he was sure God was going to provide. The trouble was that over time... Things didn't go according to Jack's plan. The thing he wanted more than anything was the wife bit. And yet he was still single and the other areas of life weren't coming up. And in other areas of life, God wasn't coming up with the goods either. So Jack turned away from God, stopped going to church, became bitter and felt that God had let him down badly. Instead, he put lots of energy into getting hold of the things he felt would bring him contentment. I spoke to Jack last weekend and he said again that God hadn't provided him with what he needed in his life. I said, but Jack, you haven't allowed God anywhere near your life. You haven't let him have his way in your life. You've taken it into your own hands. You haven't let God anywhere near for a very long time. And Jack said, no, I haven't. But I did give him a chance. Not surprisingly, Jack is unhappy and far from God because his faith was based on what he wanted, what he coveted, what he believed he needed, and not on what God had planned for him. Are you ever a bit like shopping list Jack? I know I am. Number three, thirdly, coveting damages us. It damages us. We've already seen how it damages our relationship with God and turns us away from his purposes for our lives. We miss out big time on what he has for us. But coveting also damages the relationships between us. As we can see from these verses that we had read earlier, when we are striving for success in worldly terms, we take our eye off the ball as far as God is concerned. 
which invariably means that relationships between us are damaged. We focus on getting the better of others, putting them down. And while we're concentrating on gathering wealth in order to obtain more stuff or become more important or powerful, we're unable to give sacrificially to each other. Our generosity is curtailed and we are unable to treat others as we would like to be treated. So it's pretty bad news, isn't it, coveting? It's bad for all of us. It deceives us. It diverts us from God's plans for our lives. It damages our relationship with God and with others. We've seen that in some senses, number 10, this you shall not covet, is one of the most powerful commandments. For if we kept this one, it would be difficult to break the others. But do not covet is particularly difficult to keep because it means controlling our thoughts and not only our actions. So what is the answer? What is the antidote? Well, strangely, I think, the answer to keeping the tenth commandment is to keep the first. You shall have no other gods before me. (laughs) They're tied up together. Reno said, put it like this, we can free ourselves from lower loves only by a higher love. Only by developing our love for God, desiring him more, will will we free ourselves from coveting and the dangers that go with it. It's the only way to find contentment. We can free ourselves from lower loves only by a higher love. Timothy tells here of great gain when we seek contentment in God. So let's covet contentment. The antidote to the coveting which harms us is to covet contentment in God. What was it that enticed Abraham to leave one of the most modern cities of his day and go out into the wilderness of all places? It was because his eyes were on God and he knew that what God had to offer was far more desirable than anything he was leaving behind. And it's the same for us. Why did Moses turn from the, from the glitter and riches of Egypt and go off and lead, lead a motley group of slaves into nothing, who gave him nothing but trouble? Because he counted the riches of Christ as far greater than what he left behind. Why were the Old Testament prophets prepared to be ridiculed and killed, imprisoned and stoned, and still went on preaching when no one wanted to hear them? Why were the apostles prepared to suffer so much? Why was Stephen prepared to be stoned to death even? Well, it was because they could still say with Paul, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is so much more to desire. So much more. Paul famously learnt to be content in all circumstances and so can we. He says here, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to be in plenty and so on. Contentment is learned as we gain contentment for Jesus. This is what shopping list Jack needed to understand and embrace. There is a danger, I think, that we have accepted the thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments and overlooked the liberating commands of Jesus. 
Here in Matthew, Jesus underlines the Old Testament teaching. The most important thing is loving God and then loving our neighbour. Sometimes we're held back from getting on with living like this because we worry too much about how we feel. Let's not worry too much about feeling love for our neighbour. Let's get on and give what we would like to get. Let's get on with it and treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves and not wait until we feel like it, or it could be some time. The rewards will come and what began as sacrifice will turn into reward as we get a glimpse of the joy and fulfilment that comes from God and just has no comparison in fulfilment through acquisition of stuff. We have glimpses of this joy, glimpses from heaven when we reach for God in this way. Those moments when we maybe, I don't know, give a, give a gift that's a bit of a stretch, an act of kindness or selfish, selfless action that touches a life. When we see love in someone's eyes or give ourselves to an extent that costs us dear. I mean that deep joy that comes from doing what is right. I've heard it described as the difference between the monochrome of Kansas and the vi- vivid colour of Oz. It touches us deep within, at a place where we desire far more than money, sex or power, where such, are, such things are trivial, are trivia in comparison with knowing God. The psalmist speaks of that place where deep calls to deep, in the depths of our soul. Do you know it? Do you reach for it? Desire God's riches at the heart of, our, of your being, and the riches of this world will fall away. The the commandment not to covet is urging us to cultivate a hunger for God, the kind of hunger which which the psalmist was talking about here. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for thee, O God. It's a kind of godly coveting on which our Lord pronounced his blessings. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be satisfied. There's no need for coveting any longer. J. John sums this up quite well. He says, The grass is not greener over that side of the fence. The grass is not greener on this side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. (laughs) If we're going to escape the trap of coveting, it's not a matter of sitting back and waiting provision to happen. We need to take action. We need to water the grass. If you keep doing what you've always done, it's likely that little will change. Paul says in 1 Corinthians to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Go out and seek them, practice them by spending time with God, immersing ourselves in his word and pursuing his work in our lives. So action, what action do we need to take? For some it will mean seeking prayer ministry. For others, going on some of the courses we're running. For others it will mean taking up a regular quiet time for the first time or resurrecting one they used to have. It's our responsibility, individually, in partnership with God, to ensure that we experience spiritual growth. And it's likely that we need to do something different, something more. Here's a promise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. With that in mind, I want to end with the same question I started with. If you could have anything, anything, what would it be? What do you think about most? What do you talk about most? What do you put your energy into? What are the deepest desires of your heart? What are you chasing after? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Father God, I'm just praying now that you will show us what the deep desires of our heart are. Come in and show us a glimpse of that place deep within where we long to meet with you, where we long to know you. That all that stuff which takes our attention, takes our energies, takes our eye away from you will just fall away as we seek you at the centre of our being and seek you above all else. Amen. I'm just going to play a, a, a song on a CD now for you and I want to, I'm to invite you to use it, to consider it as a prayer. Just sit quietly and listen, would you? And if you can, use it in your heart. Say it in your heart as a prayer. <laughs>